Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I remain the voice of crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Make every path straight. Prepare you to repent for the kingdom of Satan. In our last broadcast, which was in the month of March, I think March 20th or thereabout, we looked at how to deal with the flesh. We saw that the solution to dealing with the flesh is to reckon, to understand, to appreciate the fact, it's actually a fact, that when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary and paid the price for sin, he dealt a death blow to the flesh. Now, our reckoning that this has taken place is an act of faith. We must be convinced about it. We must believe it and keep holding on to that belief that that is indeed the case, for it is the case. Now, the problem that we have, like the Bible says, I think it was here, like the, uh, the, Lord says, the Lord said about the people of Israel, he said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Now, we will not perish for lack of knowledge. The knowledge that we need to have is that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for sin. And whilst he was on the cross at Calvary, the flesh was dealt a death blow. In dealing with the death blow of the flesh and we being in him, at the time of that, even though it was done 2,000 years ago, that fact stands. And so we must believe that fact. And therefore, as a result of that having taken place, we are to live no longer according to the dictates of the flesh, but now according to the spirits, the Holy Spirit's leading, his directing. This itself is made possible because of our knowing that the flesh has been crucified. The flesh has been rendered impotent. The flesh no longer exists to, 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 to stop us or to, 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 to cause us not to heed the word of God. It is the absence of this realization that empowers the flesh and makes it able to direct us to do its bidding. Now, before we became born again, the flesh was in charge. It directed our every move. The Spirit of God was, in fact, dormant, impotent. But the moment we became born again, the Spirit of God revived within us and created a channel of communication between us and the Father. Now, having created that channel of, of communication within us and the Father, the flesh now ideally should no longer have dominion over us. But because many are ignorant of that fact, the flesh continues to dominate. But the moment we have that understanding, knowing that Christ already dealt with the flesh, Satan can no longer come in any guise to trick us into believing that the flesh has any role in our lives. That much we have looked at over the last two or so broadcasts. Now, therefore, because the flesh has been crucified, what we now have for, of the believer is a crucified life. A crucified life is the life that listens to God. Before, the, before we were crucified, before we were brought into the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the challenges that we faced was refusing to listen to God. We are unable to hear God speak. We are unable to heed even if we heard. But now that the flesh is gone, we can now do that. Another thing that, the that, that happens with the crucified life is that it is a life that is devoted to doing the will of God. 
and it is a life that gives place to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is primal when we talk about the crucified life. So in this broadcast, what we want to do briefly is to discuss the blessings of the crucified life. Because there are a lot of people, when they hear the crucified life, they tend to shrink and want to run away. But the gospel is actually about this crucified life and more than even the crucified life. We shall see towards the end of it. That the crucified life itself is a step that takes us to something else. So what are the blessings of the crucified life? Number one, the crucified man or the man whose life, who, who, in whom the flesh has been crucified, what we call the, cruci the crucified life, such a man ha can no longer intentionally sin. He can no longer commit any sin intentionally. It is not possible for him. He sees, he sees he, he, when he sees sin coming, he sidesteps it and avoids sin. In 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, reading from verse 7 through to verse 10, the Bible says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous. So whoever is practicing righteousness is in Christ Jesus. And because Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous, we, because we are in him and the flesh has been crucified, can only but practice righteousness. To practice righteousness means that you have no business with a life of sin. Indeed, if a man is genuinely born again, the very first thing he's going to experience is a distaste, a hatred for sin, even the sins he committed in the past. He wants to distance himself from it. And that's what has been said here, that once we are in Christ, we cannot but practice righteousness because he is righteousness and he is righteous. In verse 8 it says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Anybody who is committing sin is still in the grip of, of, of the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ came, was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, including the actions of the flesh, the activities of the flesh. Now, if Christ is in you, it means that the works of the devil have been destroyed. And so the devil cannot have dominion over you, which means your life cannot be ruled by sin and you can no longer intentionally commit sin. He continues in verse 9. He says, whoever has been born of God, that is born again, does not sin. That is, he cannot intentionally, knowingly sin. For his seed, that is the seed of God, remains in him. It did not come and go. It stays there. When you are genuinely born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And for the Spirit of God to dwell in you, it means that the flesh has been done away with. Now, Satan can try to bring a means of deceit to make us feel that the flesh is still potent and effective. It is only potent and effective if we allow him. And I think Romans chapter 6, is it verse 16 and verse 18 thereabout, lets us understand that we are slaves to whosoever we yield ourselves to obey. If we yield ourselves to obey sin by reason of the actions or activities of the flesh, then we are under Satan. But if we yield ourselves 
to the Spirit of God to do what is righteous, then we are under God. So the, 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 the most important thing is that the seed of God, by the Spirit of God, remains in us. And therefore, he cannot sin because he has been born of God. God cannot sin. God does not sin. God is not tempted to sin. Therefore, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in us, we have no business committing sin. So we cannot intentionally sin. In verse 10, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Everyone who is unable to live righteously is of the devil, is not of God. That means that salvation in the real sense of the word, which comes by faith, has actually not taken place in that man's life. But where it has indeed taken place, you can no longer intentionally sin because you now have the Spirit of God who cannot sin, leading you and directing you. And you do not have the interference of the, the flesh. That brings me to the second blessing. The second blessing is our ability to hear from God clearly. You see, the flesh creates noise in the communication process or channel. Whenever God is speaking, the flesh brings itself into that thing and models it up. For example, if God were to ask us to do something, the flesh will come up and say, give us justification why we should not do it. So it creates a noise and in the process, we are unable to fully appreciate what it is that God is asking us to do. The life of faith does not have any dealing to do with the flesh. The moment the flesh is introduced, faith flies out the window. Faith, faith can no longer exist in the presence of the flesh. So because the flesh has been crucified, it has been eliminated. Therefore, the noise that it usually will bring has also been eliminated. And so it becomes easy for us to clearly hear God and yield to what he is saying. Which brings us to the third blessing that comes as a result of the crucified life. A life of obedience to God. Before we got born again, one of the major problems we have was to obey God. But now that we are born again, the Bible makes it clear that we are now able to obey God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible talks about, talking to the Christians, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. For obedience. Sanctification for obedience. We're going to look at sanctification, I believe, uh, maybe the next broadcast or so. Without this action of sanctification, obedience to God is a difficult thing. But once the, 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 the flesh has been crucified, it is possible to obey God. It is possible to hear God and to be willing to do what God is saying. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we read this uh, one of the times we were discussing the flesh. It says, because the carnal mind, that is the flesh, is enmity or hostile against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The, the flesh is hostile to God. And so whatever it is that God is saying, the, the flesh does not allow us to obey God. But now that the flesh has been crucified, now that we know what actually happened, 
and we are no longer being deceived by the flesh to say, oh, this is what really happened. We know now that the flesh has no, nothing to, we have nothing to do rather with the flesh, but everything is with the spirit of God. Now we take our instructions from him. The hostility between us and God has been, has, has been, has been, has been put off. It's been, it's been destroyed completely. And now we are able to obey God. We are able to heed the voice of God and do what it is that God wants us to do. In Acts chapter 7, we see a typical uh, instance of what happens when the flesh has not been crucified. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, this was Stephen's sermon. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Whenever you find anyone who is still resisting the Holy Spirit, you have found a person who has not yet done away with the flesh in his life. He is still allowing the flesh to dictate to him and he is, uh, is, is allowing himself to be led by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. Such a man cannot obey God, even if he wanted to, because he is dealing with a force that does not allow itself to yield to the Spirit of God. Such a man is described as stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, uncircumcised in ear. His heart is wax, is, is, is dull. He saw his ears are dull of hearing. His, his, his heart is fat, wax, is, is filled with fat that does not allow the word of God to penetrate. He has not been circumcised to be able to receive the word of God. So the crucified life, number one, does not intentionally sin. It's sin by error. And immediately, because it was not intended, intentional, immediately he repents. He, he, there's no room for negotiation or giving an excuse. Once he is said that he has, he has, he has uh, done something wrong, immediately he repents. Secondly, he has the ability now to hear God because what was disturbing the hearing from God was the flesh. It's been eliminated. He knows for a fact that it's been eliminated. The flesh can no longer dictate to him and so his ability to hear from God is clear. Thirdly, he is able to obey God. He's now willing and able to obey God because the one that stopped him from obeying God has been done away with. So the crucified life, besides being, in, in, uh, uh, being unable to intentionally sin and being able to hear from God clearly, he is now able to obey God. Number four, the, 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 the crucified life delights to study and to hear the word of God. He delights. It's like the, the, what, what, what David uh, uh, said. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. These days people go to the house of God with drudgery because the, the, the flesh is still having dominion over them. They, are not, they have not submitted themselves completely to the Spirit of God. They have not allowed the Spirit of God to do His rightful work in them. But when that has happened, it is always a delight to study the Word of God. Always a delight to want to hear the Word of God. When the flesh has been crucified and you start hearing watery messages, feel-good messages, you, you, you are irritated on the inside. It is like somebody who knows what good food is and then you bring junk to him. 
he will despise the junk and always desire the good food. When a man knows the ability of his wife to prepare him good food, he is not easily moved by food that is cooked outside. Indeed, if he eats anything outside at all, his desire is for what has been cooking in his kitchen. Such is a man who is crucified. Such a man delights to study the word of God. He delights to hear the voice of God. His desire is to listen to the, to, to, to the word of God. In Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3, Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. When you look at that first verse, you can see a, 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 a gradation in deterioration for a man who is still in the flesh. First, he stands, sorry, first, he walks in the counsel of the ungodly. He, 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 he actually um, takes, uh, has discussion with them. He walks with them. He's in partnership with them. Then you find him standing in the path of sinners because the flesh is there. His delight is not there. His, he, his desire is with sinners. So he stands in their path. Then he comes to the last bit where he's now sitting comfortably with his with comfort. He can laugh at jokes that are targeted at God and the people of God. He finds it funny. He has, he has no, there, there, there is nothing telling him that this is sacred. He has no qualms about sacred things. Everything to him is just, it doesn't matter. But the man who has been crucified, is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. By the way, the counsel of the ungodly can even include ungodly counsel from people who you think are Christians. It's an, once the counsel is ungodly, that man who is giving you ungodly counsel is actually an ungodly man because you cannot give what you don't have. So when you are giving ungodly counsel, it is because what is in you is ungodly. It is of the flesh. So blessed is that man that has been that he, who in whom the flesh has been crucified, because he will not walk in the counsel of in counsel of the ungodly. He cannot be found standing in the path of sinners where sinners trod. He can't be found standing there. If you ever find him around there, it is because he has come to preach to them. But that he will be comfortable standing there, not possible. Nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful. He can't be found sitting down there. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That is his delight. And in the law, he meditates day and night. His desire is the word of God. He delights in it. He, it, it is for him, if he doesn't have the word of God, he is sad. I think it is Job who made the statement that, that the, the word of God is, is necessary. He prefers the word of God above his necessary food. When the flesh has been crucified in your life. Your, your, your taste for the word of God increases. You desire it. The flesh hates anybody desiring the word of God because he knows that the more you know the word of God, the more you are going to put it aside and indeed render it impotent where it rightly belongs. So it does not permit you, does not want you to desire the word of God. But once the flesh has been subdued, the, the, the sweetness for the word of God is that, I mean, the unadulterated word of God, not the lies that people love to hear. He meditates on it day and night. In our world, we would say he meditates on it morning, afternoon, evening, and nighttime. In verse 3, 
The Bible says, It shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. We are looking here at a fruitful man. That brings me to point number five of the blessing of uh, the crucified life. The ease of fruit bearing. The ease of fruit bearing. Because his delight is in the word of God. Because he meditates on the word of God daily. You find the ease of fruit bearing. By the way, in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart from out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It is the word of God that brings true success. We are talking of success according to God. Not success according to the world, not success according to man, not success according to the flesh, not success according to Satan. It is the word of God. So point number five. The blessing of the crucified life is the ease of fruit bearing. In John chapter 15, John chapter 15, from verse 1 to verse 8, and then verse 16. John chapter 15, 1 to 8, it says, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, that is remain in me, stay attached to me, and I in you, stay, 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 stay solidly fixed like this with God, that nothing can remove that, that link. Stay hooked to me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. The, the, the vine, the, the branch of the vine cannot bear fruit when it is detached from the vine. So it says if in the way that is attached to the vine to be able to bear fruit, you remain in me, you remain attached to me. When the flesh has been crucified, attaching to Jesus is the easiest thing because that is all your desire will be, to be, to be attached to him in verse uh, okay let me read verse again it says abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing Actually, you can do certain things, but they will not count in eternity. They are not the things that God is interested in. And so it has no basis. That's why I said you can do nothing. It will not count. So that's why it is nothing. Anything you do outside of Christ, as far as God is concerned, is nothing. So every walk of the flesh, that's why the Bible calls every walk of the flesh dead walks. But when you are abiding in Christ, you will be able to bear fruit. Now, this is what happens. The branch attached to the vine, the vine's role is to produce this, to send the sap that is produced through the vine, to the branches. Now, as the sap enters the branches, the branches receive the nourishment that they need to bear fruit. So what the Lord Jesus is saying here simply is, if you are not attached to him, possibly because 
the flesh still has dominion over you, you are going to struggle with fruit bearing. You will indeed want to love, but you will not be able to love. You will indeed want to express true joy, but all you will, all that will be getting you is happiness. Things that, things that make you laugh because certain things are happening. But when things are not happening as you expect, you fall into depression. You will not be able to enjoy the peace of God. That inner calm in spite of the turmoil around and so on and so forth. Because Christ is not in you and you are not in him. And all because you have yielded to the flesh rather than to the spirit of God. In verse 6 it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. The fellow who is not attached to the Lord Jesus Christ is on his way to hell. That is the reality. That is the reality. But in verse 7 it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Remember what we said as, as point number 4. A delight to study the word of God. When you delight in the word of God will abide in you. You will ask what you desire and, and it shall be done for you. You cannot pray effectively when you are not in the Lord and you are not in his word and his word is not in you. You will pray, but you'll be asking amiss. You will pray, but you'll be asking according to the flesh, which is what James chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3 tells us. He says, when you ask like that, nothing is going to happen. Either the, the internal fruit or external fruit, you will not be able to bring forth. James chapter 4, let me just... Uh, Go there and, and, and read it. James chapter 4 from verse 1 to 3. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lost and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now, in verse 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Look at verse 4. It says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants, desires, it's not yet a friend, but he wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. The flesh is a friend of the world. The flesh loves the world. And therefore it is an enemy of God. And all those who are living in the flesh. Are adulterers and adulteresses. They cannot ask. And their, 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 their prayers be answered. Because they are asking. And means to consume it on their lusts. Their asking has very little. If any. To do with the will of God. But when the flesh has been crucified. All you are focusing on, and we are going to see that, is the doing of the will of God. Without that, you will just discover that you are asking amiss. In verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. A true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is a fruit bearer. is one who bears fruit with ease. We've, we've, we've looked at uh, okay, we've not looked at verse 16. So we come to verse 16. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ says here, you did not choose me, but I chose you. There's not one of us that chose him. He looked down on us, had pity on us, 
And according to his, the compassion in his heart and his mercy, he said, I want to save this soul. And so someone was sent to Ross to preach. Someone else was, was commanded to pray. The combination of that prayer and the preaching brought us to him. So he chose us, even though we were given the choice of making that decision to come to him. But it was his decision, ab initio, and it was our concurrence thereafter. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. This is, this is our primary goal, to be fruit bearers, to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, the character, the nature of God. The fruit of Spirit essentially is the character of God, the attributes of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, um, uh, self-control. I think there's one more. That is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the nature of God. That's the nature of God. So we were, we were, we were chosen to bear fruit. Everything about us, that was the goal, to become fruit bearers, to have the nature, the character of God. The Bible tells us that we were chosen so that we can be in the likeness of the image of the Son of God. And that your fruit should remain, not the fruit that falls off, but the one that stays. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Because we now have the nature of God, we cannot be asking amiss. We cannot be asking self selfishly. We ask things according to the will of God. The Bible says that if we ask according to the will of God, we know that we have the petitions of our prayer, of, of, of our request. That this is the confidence. that we, we can be confident that because we are asking not amiss, but according to the will of God, He hears us. And that if He hears us, then we know that we have the petition that we have presented to God. We go with that confidence. We live at the prayer spot with that confidence, knowing that God has heard us. In Galatians chapter, chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, the Bible tells us in verse 16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. And then in verse 22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no flesh, there is no law. In verse 24, it says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Because they have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires, they can easily bear fruit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. When the, the, the flesh and its passions, its desires have been crucified, have been rendered impotent and ineffective over our lives. All that will come issue forth from us is the nature and character of God. Fruit bearing. Let me get to number six. We are able, which follows from that, we are now able as a result of the crucified life to live for God. The will of God becomes paramount. The will of God, everything that we do, henceforth, becomes a matter of the will of God. We have no more desire of our own. Our desire, if at all, is linked with God. In Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> we read that, I think, last week, but let's read it again. 
He says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Because we have this knowledge now that we died with him. Therefore, we live the crucified life. Results in the resurrected life. Let's continue to read. In verse 9, sorry, verse 8, it says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God, to God. In verse 11, now says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin because the flesh has been done, done away with. It can no longer have dominion and because it has no more dominion and the flesh is the platform on which sin actually rides. Because that platform is no longer existing, sin does not have a place in our lives. So it says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The crucified life considers the will of God as paramount. And so he is able to live for God as God desires. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. The Bible says, And he died for all, that is Christ died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, when we read these things in the Bible, we think we can do them on our own, but we, there's a major impediment and that is the flesh. But because the flesh has not been crucified, the word of God literally translates to living in our lives and becomes effective and effectual in our lives. So that it is now our desire and our joy to live for God, regardless of what the situation may be. Sometimes they are not pleasant. Sometimes you are unable to, to even eat. It doesn't mean that God is not God. But you understand that there is a purpose to it because you know that God loves you. God does not hate you. He did not save you to kill you. He saved you so that you will spend time with him. And so you know that everything that he is doing or all the things that are working to, in your life are working together for your good. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us. All things work together for good. For them who are the called according to his purpose. Those who love God. Number seven. Because the flesh has been crucified. We are able to deal with temptation when it comes. And temptation always, always comes. Do not deceive yourself into thinking that because you are a child of God. Or because the flesh has been subdued. Temptation will not come. It will come. But... It will not find any place to land. James chapter 1 verse 12 to verse 16. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This man that they say is blessed because he's enduring temptation. We are talking of the man in whom the flesh has been crucified. We are talking of the crucified life. In verse 13 he says, let no one say, 
when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. When the life, when, when the flesh is still active, you can be making statements like this. But when the flesh has been subdued and the spirit of God is in charge, you are not even going to think that God will tempt you with evil. Because you know that God is not moved by, he's not tempted by evil. He, he, and he will never tempt anyone to do evil. What God can do is to pass us through trials, but he will never tempt you to do evil. God cannot tempt you, for example, to with, with fornication. He cannot tempt you with, with, with bribery. He cannot tempt you with stealing. Those are things, those are things that Satan brings to lure us to sin against God. But if the flesh has been crucified, you will not even be able to engage in it. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you that now. In verse 14, he says, But each one, note this, each one is tempted successfully when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. As long as the flesh is active, you are drawn. Temptation will come and will attach. Let's look at temptation as a magnet and look at the flesh as metal and the spirit as wood. When temptation comes, if the flesh is still active in a man's life, it immediately is attracted to the temptation and he falls. But if the flesh has been crucified and what you have there is wood, as it were, the spirit of God in our illustration now, when the magnet comes, there's nothing to attract. And so it just comes and it, 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 it discovers that it's not moved. For example, let me give you my own example. There's this... Uh, there's a particular meal in, in Nigeria, it's called fufu, and a lot of Nigerians love it. But there is no way I can eat it. I can't. I, 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 for some reason, I just don't like it. Now, what that means is, if you like, make the fufu in Buckingham Palace and put the seal of the queen on it and bring it to me. It is not going to move me. I am not enticed by it. Why? Because the reality is I have been crucified to fufu. And Fufu self has been crucified to me. Fufu knows that I am not going to be attracted. It doesn't matter the soup you bring. I'm not going to be attracted by it. And I'm sure there are people like that. For example, my wife does not like fish. That is fresh fish. No matter how you make it. So it doesn't matter how you try to garnish it and try to embellish it and bring it to her. It's not, she's not going to eat it. Why? She is crucified to fish. There's nothing you're going to say. She won't even taste it. She doesn't even want to... She doesn't even want any cutlery to go near. If, if you've used spoon to dish soup from that pot, she's never going to touch that, that spoon or take anything around the vicinity of the soup. That is what happens here. When the flesh has been crucified, there is nothing that can, that can tempt you because what was making temptation to have its way was the flesh. Now look at what it says in verse 15. It says, because of this desire, it says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do you see that? That the flesh, is it provides the platform for sin. And then as sin grows, it leads to eternal death. If we are going to live eternally, we must therefore deal with what can be tempted, which is the flesh. Once you have, once you have made it impotent and ineffective, mortified is as the Bible says, it has no place. So when temptation comes, you are not moved. Not in the slightest. You are not moved. In verse 16 it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Let us understand this. That our ability to overcome temptation is because we, the flesh has been crucified. The Lord Jesus was able to overcome temptation because 
the flesh had been crucified. So when Satan was luring him with food, as in turned the stone to, to bread, he wasn't moved by it. His focus was on the will of God. And so he, he used the word of God to say to him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When he was tempted with um, uh, getting to the highest point and jumping that the angels would uh, 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 bear him up and he would not be injured, he, he knew that I'm not moved by those things. I'm not here to do any, uh, what do you call it now, any razzmatazz to make people feel that I'm something. Say, no. Don't you know that you are not supposed to tempt the Lord thy God? What you're asking me to do is to tempt God. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to tempt God. I love him. And then finally he said, oh, I will give you all this, this kingdom, the, the whole world, if you just bow. He was not moved by that. He, he, his focus was not the world. His focus was on the Father. Why? The flesh had been dealt with. In Genesis chapter, um, chapter 39, verse 7 to 12, when Potiphar's wife came after Joseph, Joseph refused her. Why? His focus was on God. He said, why can I do such a thing and sin against my God? And even though the barrage was on a daily basis, day to day, day to day, day to day, she kept at it. He still refused. And when she grabbed him, he dropped his garment and ran. He fled. Why? He understood. The flesh had no bearing on him. The Bible says that we should flee sexual immorality. Every other thing is outside the body. Is done with the body, and that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If indeed the flesh has been crucified, you will know that the, the, the body of the, 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 the temple of the Holy Ghost cannot be found in such a place. Let me read it. First Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, from verse 18. Bible says, Flee sexual immorality, every sin. That a man does is inside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Flee sexual immorality. Flee those temptations. How? Make sure the flesh is rendered impotent through faith and your understanding of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross at Calvary. Finally, number eight, when the flesh has been crucified, that is the crucified life, we now have a truly new creation. The new man can only come as a result of the flesh or the old man being crucified. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, or new creature, created anew, and all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He is a new creation in everything. His purpose changes, his desire changes, everything about him changes. Everything. Whatever you were before you got born again, you, you, you may not necessarily continue with it. Your ambitions die. Your desires die. Your plans before you got born again, they die. You are indeed a new creation. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, from verse 17, let me just read this. It says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk 
in the futility of their mind. That's how the Gentiles walk. That's how those who are in the flesh, that's how they walk. In the futility of their minds, they follow their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. They don't see anything wrong with lewd dressing. It's part of it. To, to do things that they desire, that they believe will give them pleasure, doesn't mean anything to them. They are desensitized to the Spirit of God. But you are not to be like that because you are a new creation. In verse 20 says, but you have not so learned Christ. That's not how Christ was taught to you. That's not how Christ came to be in you. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, that is Christ Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, that is the flesh, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The flesh continues to be corrupt, continues to be corrupt and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of, of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. And it continues on and on. The bottom line is, once you put off the old man, you are a new man. And this new man is renewed in the spirit by the word of God. Each time he hears the word of God, he is renewed. His, his newness is deepened because of the action of the Holy Spirit in him. So we have mentioned eight things. We spoke about the crucified life, no more intentional sins, able to hear clearly from God, able to live a life of obedience to God, he delights to study the word of God, bears fruit with ease. He's able to live for God. That is his purpose now, to live for God. He's able to deal with temptation because what, was, what temptation was drawing is gone. And now he's a new creation because the flesh is gone. It's a new creation that we have. The truth about the gospel is that the gospel seeks to bring us to the place where Christ is in terms of fellowship with the Father. The gospel seeks to bring us to that place where we can have fellowship with God. Fellowship was lost in the Garden of Eden. Christ came to restore fellowship between man and God. He's the mediator of the new covenant. And so by telling us how to deal with the flesh, the gospel message prepares us for uninterrupted fellowship and walk with God. In the Garden of Eden, in, 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 the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3, I think verse 8 and 9, that when God came into the garden in the cool of the day, as he would usually have done to have fellowship with Adam and Eve, they were hiding because they had sinned. And so God had to say, Adam, where are you today? Many of us are hiding from God. We cannot enjoy that fellowship. Why? Because of the, it was the flesh that brought them to where they were, when they were hiding. So for as long as the flesh is present in us, we'll be hiding from God. The the goal of the gospel, the gospel message, is for us to get back to fellowship with God that was lost in the garden. We see a typical example of this in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 to verse 24. When the Bible talks about Enoch, Enoch had given birth to uh, a son called Methuselah, which simply means the day this fellow dies, the world ends. He was sensitive enough to understand that 
this name I've given this fellow needs to be taken seriously. And that was, it was age 65. And from the age of 65, after he had given birth to Methuselah, the Bible says from that age, Enoch began to walk with God. And he walked with God for 300 years. Whilst engaging in order, he was still having children. But his fellowship with God was unbroken, uninterrupted. He had dispensed with the flesh. The flesh that caused the confusion in the Garden of Eden, he dispensed with it so much so, the Bible says, he was not found. Why? Because God took him. God is looking for people that he will take to himself in eternity. People who will spend eternity with him. That is the beauty of the crucified life. Fellowship is again restored with God. The flesh broke that fellowship. The spirit in crucifying the fellowship, I mean crucifying the flesh, restores our fellowship to the Father. The crucified life will ultimately lead to the resurrected life, which is the sanctified life. The Bible talks of, uh, of us being raised up to a newness of life, a newness of life, a new life, a new beginning in every ramification, new goals, new purpose, new vocation, new plans, all from God, none from man. You may have decided, you may have, you may, you may have had the ambition to be president of your nation, but when you become born again, God gives you a new purpose. That desire for president dies. If you're still chasing the, the, the ambitions you had before you became born again, my brother, my sister, the flesh is so strong in you. You are resisting the Holy Spirit because when it comes, everything that was the flesh, he destroys completely. He wants a new man with a new beginning. The sanctified life is a life that is set apart for holy use or holy purposes. It is a life that is prepared, made ready for holy use. By the grace of God, trusting God that next, the next uh, meeting, uh, our next broadcast, we should be, I believe, on the 17th of April, we shall be looking at sanctification. A major theme for anyone who is a believer. I know we don't listen, we don't hear these things anymore. But the crucified life is but a step to the sanctified life. Without the crucified life, you cannot get the sanctified life. So that is why the flesh must first of all be crucified. And then the, the spirit comes in and begins to do the work. The work of sanctification is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. We shall look at that in some detail. But for now, I want us to focus on the wonderful blessings that accompany those who have crucified the flesh. No more intentional sins. No more I'm not hearing from God. No more struggling to obey God. No more struggling to study the word of God. No more struggling to understand scripture. No more struggling to bear fruit. No more struggling to do the will of God. No more struggling with sin. No more struggles with the old man because he no longer exists. What we have is a new creation. I want to rejoice with you if you have come to that realization that you have no business listening to the flesh and taking instructions from it. Turn to God. Open yourself to the spirit of God. Allow him to direct you. Allow him to lead you. Then you will begin to see the gospel being accomplished in your life. What Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 where he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. You will now see the power of God at work in your life to bring you to that place of eternal salvation. Not toying around with this worldliness that is going on around. But being sober, walking in piety until the next time we meet. God bless you.